0: Now, I know talking about identity um, can raise a huge number of issues, especially if we're not doing it on a superficial level. And I know that we're going to all come at this with our own views and difficulties. And so I think for some of us, we're going to hear the idea that we're now going to discuss identity and we're going to think, I've never thought about that. I've just gone through my life and this is who I am and that's it. There's going to be another group of us who are able to articulate our identity whether we want to or not because we've been forced to identify ourselves. We've been in a minority and often we've had to form and we've had to give ourselves an identity. And so when I say talk about identity, you understand you've had to think about this. For another group identity is already going to be bringing up difficult feelings. And whether through experience or a trauma or what has been said about you or what you've said about yourself, this is something you don't want to talk about. And my sole aim tonight over these next couple of minutes is not to open up wounds. It's not to dismiss anyone's pain. It's not to make anyone feel uncomfortable. My sole aim is to clearly articulate how God sees you. And I want to offer you a deeper story, a deeper identity, that what God wants to reveal for you today. And then the fourth group, I think, can often go through life, and we travel through life, and we get so tangled up along the way that we just don't know who we are anymore. You might have heard that phrase, I look in the mirror and I barely recognise myself. And in the complexity of our lives, what I want to do is I want to try and address the simplest identity which God gives to us. So no matter where we are, no matter how we're feeling when we begin to talk about identity, the questions I want to deal with is what is our identity in God? How does God view us? What is the deep identity given to us by God? So if we look at our passage, Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 to 6, it says this, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you fully obey me and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possessions. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." Now, you have to understand the context of this. God is reminding them in the midst of what he's about to say and about that, he's going to mark them out, the identity he's going to give them. He's saying, remember what I did, how I carried you, my covenant I made. I made the promise to your father, Abraham, I made the promise to bless all of humanity. I saved you out of Egypt. I loved you. I heard your cry. I saved you. I fixed the problem. I've done all these things. Now, how do I see you? And it's gonna be a deep identity given by God. And the first is this, you are mine. You are mine. You are underlined. It's in bold, mine. Verse 4 it says this you yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself I brought you to myself everything I did was to bring you to me Now there are two questions all humanity's face all humanity faces The first is does God exist and the second is does God care And for a great many people, and for many of us, the answer to the first question is yes. There is a rationally coherent argument for an existence of God. We see a creation, and therefore for many of us there's logically a creator. There is evidence that this world is not just random, that there seems to be a design to the universe, and therefore a designer. But the second question is much harder. We see the world around us. We see our own lives and we ask, does he, she or it really care? Now, what I want to do is I want to frame the question in a purely Christian worldview. Okay? now I know that what I'm about to do is just make a huge jump. I was just saying that there is evidence for a creator and now I'm going, it's The Christian God, right? I acknowledge that that was a massive jump. I can't bridge all the gaps. Otherwise, we'd be here for hours, um, which you would hate and I would love because I love the sound of my own voice, right? So I'm acknowledging that there is, I've just made a massive illogical jump. And if any of you are like, Oh, I was with you with the creator bit and the designer bit, but not quite the Christian worldview. I would love to talk to you at the end. I'm, I'm acknowledging that I've just done a massive leap. Okay. But from a purely Christian worldview, If we step back and ask, why would God create a world he doesn't care about? Why would he go to great lengths in the book of Exodus to save his people? Why would he send his son to die for you and for me if he just doesn't care? It seems outright illogical that God would intervene and make right what is wrong if he didn't care. In fact, Not only does he care, he takes it a step further. We are his. Mine, he says. It's the whole point. Some of you have read the book of Song of Songs, which in the Old Testament, it's this beautiful book and it's this tender, loving, caring, protective relationship that's meant to mirror the union between a husband and a wife and that's meant to mirror how God sees us. A deep identity given by God. Not only are we his, but we are considered deeply precious. How does he refer to the, the people in Exodus? My treasured possession, a royal property. And we we've, we have a, this modern view of property, right? Where you can buy it and you can sell it and all of that sort of stuff. But at this stage in human history, you had these kind of cult-like groups that would have a, like a king or a leader and they would have a people and they would have an area and that is what they would be, and they would own everything. Everything in that area. They would own the people, they'd own the land, they'd own the fish, they'd own everything. Total ownership. And God is using that imagery to say that you and me and these people in Exodus, you are mine. But more than that, you are priceless to me. You are a treasured possession. And for some of us, this would have been the first time anyone has ever told you that you are God's treasured possession. You are not some accidental spillage in the great plethora of human history. You are God's treasured possession. God not only claimed you for himself, but he loved the day he did it. Many of us need to be reminded of that great book in the Old Testament, the one we all love, Zephaniah. I know it's one of your favourites, like mine. And at the heart of Zephaniah, you have this passage. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Deep identity by God. And it not only stops there, what else do we have? We're a kingdom of priests. The Old Testament is not the first instance to talk about priests. There's this great book in the Old Testament called Leviticus where it outlines what a priest in the Old Testament is going to be. But there was already this kind of narrative of having priests, this understanding. And a priest was this representative of the community to show all the other communities who they were. A priest was this visible representation of the community to other communities. And what's going to happen is you're going to see that there are going to be this group of people that are set aside for a specific purpose. But the original intention, the default position is that everyone is a priest, a kingdom of priests. Now, that only makes sense if who is part of the kingdom functions like a priest, functions as a witness to those outside of the community. The whole community is a community that's set apart. There is no hierarchy of Christianity. Many of you will uh, know someone called Jess, and um, she was here last year, and she went off and she got ordained. She got you know, the collar, the, you know, collared and um, in the Church of England. Right. We didn't send her off. We didn't encourage her to go because she is now a representative of the church, now that she can wear a dog collar. We sent her off because she is a representative of God. And now God is calling her to a specific task in the church. She's not greater or more impressive than any one of us. And what happens is, is we've had 2,000 years where the church has kind of slightly murkied the water with what it means to be a priest. So when I say the word priest, we all have very different connotations. But that's not God's original plan. There is something magnificent about God's plans that he would, res- he would select a whole community not just those who are the kind of elite, the top. Our identity is linked to God's desire for us to represent him. So at this point, you might say, me? Well, yes. Nowhere in the Bible does it set out that there are only some Christians that are going to be the representative of God. You'll hear things like, this person is fixed, or or, this person is too broken, or this person knows their Bible this much, or this person prays this amount. Our identity is not only private, that we're a treasure possession, but there are outward implications. And this is tied with the next statement, a holy nation, that this is going to be a nation that is set apart, that is different, but not separate from the world. It's not that Christians kind of live in their own little bubble and, you know, this little commune and we do weird things. And that's not, we're we're part of this world, but we are set apart. And that's what he's saying in Exodus, that you are a holy nation. You're not isolated. You're a holy nation, a holy people. As holy and priestly titles, Israel is the means by which God will as his plan unfolds, bring nations to the knowledge of himself. This is part of the plan of what he is doing. Not only is Israel his, not only are they his treasured possession, but God is going to bless the world, bless people and bless nations through them. As they are his representatives. Now, thousands of years after Exodus, St. Peter comes along and he says this, you are a chosen people. He's now talking about Christians. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. You may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy mercy. In Christ, we are God's. We are his treasured possession. We are his representatives. We are the means by which God is going to draw others to himself. This is our identity, deep identity given by God. On a deeply personal level, but also on a practical, outworking level. It's a deep identity. It's not superficial, it's deep. So then the question is well, if all this kind of makes sense and that we're a treasure possession and we're a priesthood and we're a holy nation, why do I not feel or know that identity? Why do I not feel treasured by God? Why do I not know with everything within me? How, why do I not, you know, he waves his arms around and he's looking at Exodus and it's all kind of nice, but in five minutes, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to go, I'm just me. How am I not, how do I not feel and know in the depth of my being That I am truly treasured by God, truly treasured by God. Well, I think there are two, can be two reasons, there are probably multiple reasons, but two reasons I saw in this passage. And for some of us, we haven't actually seen the deeds that lead to our identity. See, what happens is, is God reminds them of what he has done, and he shows them, look at what I have done. Look what I did in Egypt. Look what I did at the Red Sea. Look what I promised with your forefathers. And on that basis, look at your identity. And for some of us, we've just not seen it. And for many of us, we've kind of seen the Jesus narrative, and, 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 and we speak the language, but actually, Jesus... Jesus actually purposefully dying for me and my sins. I don't really need saving. I don't believe in this punishment. Jesus, Jesus actually, if you actually dug right down, Jesus is this metaphor, or he's, he's a nice story about doing the right thing, or he's being generous, he's being an example, even in death. Well, if that is true, then of course you won't have a high identity of how God sees you. God chose to make a way for us to be reconciled to him. How does John three sixteen put it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, because the world was condemned already. For many of us, we've been surrounded by crosses and crucifixes and all these things our whole life that actually we've missed the beauty and the magnitude of what it means to have a saviour who died for us. And it's just part of this, we're just so used to it, but actually we, we forget that we were bought with a price, that while we were still far off, God came running for us. And we totally miss the depth of love poured out for us on the cross. And you need to be reminded, you need to see the depth of what God actually did for us. I think that's one thing. The other is we can see all that and we can see the magnitude and we can see the beauty of God paying for our sins and all of this, but... We still don't know or feel that identity. And for many of us, it's a heart issue. Our identity in Christ before God has just not led to any outworking in our lives. You know, how does God say it? He says, obey me, be the priesthood of all believers, be a holy people. Our lives Can so often look nothing like that when we're following God. And I wanna, and and we would say things like, I wanna know this identity, I wanna feel you, God, I wanna know you more, but at the heart, if we really clawed away at what was going on, at the heart, we cling more to the world around us than to Christ. How? How could we ever be satisfied? In an identity given to us from God when our lives look nothing like we follow Him. And so as, as we, as we come into land, I think there are kind of three groups of people here. And the first group of people, you, you just need to hear the love of God. As Zephaniah put it, you need to hear the song He sings over you. You need to know in the depth of your soul that you are a treasured possession. You are not defective. If you're in Christ, you are not defective in any way. He sees you as this beautiful, extravagant human being that he paid for, that he longs to woo and to care for. That's what you need to hear. That God loves you. There's another group of us, and we say all the right things, but on the deepest level, you question who am I? And you can ask yourself have you taken the salvation bid, and you've taken the treasure possession bit, and you've totally ignored everything else? That all these things haven't really made any difference to the rest of my life. And you need to hear God has called us, even as Christians, to be a priesthood, to be a holy nation, to be set apart. We can't just carry on exactly as we were. And then for the third, third group, where we, we have understood this. We've understood the depth of the cross. We've understood that our lives need to be set apart. And my prayer for you is that may you know a deeper and more profound revelation in your identity of Christ. As as you prepare to one day hear, well done, good and faithful servant. May you know the full knowledge, a deeper knowledge of the song God sings over you. May you know the pricelessness of which you were bought. The passion to be a ro- holy and royal priesthood and a holy people. Can I invite you to stand? Uh, I'm going to invite the band, they're going to lead us in worship, but I'm going to pray um, as we come into land. Haley started with these words from John chapter one. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I say, Heavenly Father, I just pray now in the stillness of this Sunday evening that your light would shine in the darkness. if we have placed upon ourselves, if we've been forced into identities that are not what you say of us, would your light shine in Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would be at work in each of us. Digging beneath all the exterior that we can so easily put up. like in those movies where there's the sea and there's the storm going on at the top and there's a light and someone dives in <clears throat> to save someone may those of us who just feel like we're, we've been floundering and drowning may we know that you've come swimming after us And for those of us that need convicting, for those of us who know, actually we've made, we've made decisions. We've walked out of living as a holy nation and a royal priesthood. Would you be at work in our hearts now? Also Heavenly Father, would you send your Holy Spirit on those of us who need to be encouraged to continue to walk as you've called us to walk, to know the depth of the priceless value that we, that we are to you.